Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Podcast. And today I have my very good friend, Tarl Yarber with me. How's it going, man? What's up, AJ? Thanks for having me. Dude, I'm happy so happy that you're on and we can get caught up. And uh, you're in Seattle right now. You you left Hawaii. Yeah. We are in the People's Republic of Seattle and uh, back where we don't belong. Uh, spent 13 months in Maui with Mr. Brandon Turner, and it was great. It was awesome. But sooner or later, uh, we had to make a decision if we were going to live there permanently or not. And I, I am happy to say that I am in Seattle for only a little bit longer, and we're we're moving again. So it's going to be a good time for sure. But but not that against Seattle. We actually do all our business here. So I love Seattle. Yay for real estate. I just don't want to live here anymore. So yes. Yeah. yeah, you've been you've been doing real estate there for a long time now, haven't you? Like, yeah, about a little over a decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Plus, a little over a decade. Done a lot of single-family homes here, uh, and you know, we flipped a lot. We have a decent portfolio of rentals here. Uh, most of them in Tacoma, not inside Seattle city limits for lots of reasons. Uh, and you know, we're we're still doing business here. We're still going to keep doing business here. Uh, yeah. I just don't want to live here in the winter anymore. And um, yeah, that's pretty. Go much somewhere it. where you can see the sun. That's right. Now, do you have a? Uh, out of your real estate that you're doing, how many are you flipping and how many are you holding? Like, what do you have targets on that or is it? Man, you're putting me on the spot. All right. So, well, in reality, <laughs> no, like just to come straight out with it, we did. So, in most of my career, all the way up until the end of 2017, uh, I just flipped a ton, right? We would yeah. do between 30 and 60 a year uh, and we would just keep going. And they were bigger remodels. Uh, all the time. So very few lipstick pig remodels. Yeah. And then, but I was just doing that to do that. And the goal was to do more than we did before. Like that was pretty much always the yes. goal. Uh, we had 17 to 23 active rehabs at any one time for a period of many years. Uh, and then at the end of 2017, um, I didn't know why I was doing anything I was doing. I was just doing it. I was just grinding. And my wife and I decided to kind of build more of a lifestyle business. Uh, I've told the story a lot uh, out there over the years, but my buddy Thatch Nguyen basically told me, he's just like, well, why don't you stop trying to like build your life around your business? And why don't you build your business around your life? Right. And so yeah. create the type of life you want to have and then make your business fit that. And that kind of woke us up big time. Uh, and we etched a sketched everything and redid all of it. And then we just went to more of simpler models. We actually had to make a decision, dude, like to make less money and made a decision to do less business so that we can be happy. And because we didn't want to build a huge company, I didn't want it, right? I didn't want to grind 100 plus hours a week and all that stuff. I, it was not what I wanted. I wanted yeah. to travel, be with my wife all the time. I wanted to live a lot more free. That's why I was doing business anyways. And so we decided to do no more than 10 deals at a time. Uh, and at one time that was our metrics was there was no, like, we have to complete 30 by the end of the year. It was just, we just don't do more than 10 at a time. That was the matrix because that had to do with our ability to handle volume. And then we wanted to do events, which we do in events business. We want to do one large conference a year that had a charity component. So we've raised over half a million through that event already, which has been great. Uh, so we wanted to be able to do that. Um, and we wanted to be able to run our entire business from our phone. 
And that was our business matrix for since 2000, January, 2018. So um, things have changed Is since COVID you, a little bit. But yeah, but you, you made probably the hardest decision because it, it like, it's one thing for people to say that, that aren't actually being successful. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's different to say, I hear people like, well, I wanted a lifestyle business or, you know, I didn't want to work a lot. And it's like, well, you're not. And then you haven't created anything too. So that's like a cop out where you were doing tons, dude. You were doing so many houses. You were like, you made a conscious decision to actually pull back from what already existed. And um, that's pretty different. Yeah. Especially when you get your, when you file your taxes for 2018, and your ego takes a hit when, and also we started keeping properties too. So that changed things. So when we go to 2017, making, you know, buco bucks on, sorry, let's reframe that for the uh, financial literate, uh, taxable income, right? So yes. making your, y'all, you're showing all your S corps, you know, your filings and your K ones for all your other entities. And then rolls up to your 1040 and you're like, look at that big number that I get to pay taxes on. Yeah. I made a lot of money. And then 2018, you got smart, like, and you're like, well, I don't need to make as much. And we kept more properties. So we built up our um, our wealth through our assets. So our balance sheet increased, but our income statement did not. So my tax my taxable income reduced dramatically, also because we had more depreciation. But I was so used to pushing for income and pushing for uh, higher levels of revenue, I wasn't focused on trying to develop assets as much uh, prior to 2018. And so I didn't really put two and two together. So my ego took a hit when I saw my tax uh, taxable income drop because I was always so focused on active income because I flipped houses. And that was a wake up call for me to realize, wait, smart people in business don't do that, right? Income is great. Active income is fantastic. You need business, you need revenue to run your businesses. Uh, But you can also, that doesn't mean you need taxable income to run your businesses. (laughs) So that changed my thinking dramatically, but. Well, it's um, active income is a drug. Like even when you look at me, I couldn't give up my high paying corporate job, even though I didn't need it because of the real estate, I should have probably made that move sooner. Um, But it was like, I'm making so much money. It's just like that idea that I'm going to lose all of this money and capital, right? It's, it's that immediate kind of thing. It, it, it's it's a real real issue and it can really cripple you and your future. And a lot of people go through this, the amount, whether it's big or small, right? It's that W-2, it's that steady, it's that, I, I mean, that is, it, it's, it's a real thing. It's hard to make that move. Well, it's also hard to go from a high income lifestyle and yeah. tell yourself you're going to reduce that, right? Uh, it's one thing if you start out, I have a really good friend of ours. Uh, he's got a couple hundred doors, mostly single family. And the, uh, he did the opposite of me. So he started around the same time as me, but he, he only bought rentals, mostly in Yakima, Washington, uh, which is just a little podunk town about <laughs> a couple hours outside of Seattle and really just cheap houses. And he just kept collecting them and he was getting high cash flow, but there was no appreciation, like zero appreciation. And even though right now it's appreciated a bit, but still like comparatively, it's not very much. Uh, So he had to build his, he built his wealth $200 a door at a time, right. As he's collecting all this stuff. So he penny pinched, he really mapped it out. He got really good at his financials. Uh, They live beneath their means. Right. And he built a lot of wealth through that and a ton of passive 
uh, income through that. Whereas as me, I'm flipping houses at 30K a pop, 40K a pop, 100K a pop, right? Yeah. You know, making it rain, all that stuff. Did I then like budget every penny when it came to my vacations or, you know, stuff we wanted to do or whatever? No, because I was used to making high six figures, seven figures, flipping houses. If all of a sudden tomorrow I'm like, okay, I'm going to get rid of all that and I have to buy $200 a door cash flow and penny, it's a lot harder mentally to come down from that. Now we've overcome all that, but it took us, you know, about a year and a half, two years to figure that out once we started doing it versus my buddy had already been doing that. Right. Um, so it is a different thought when you're used to that high income and going back to a wealth generation mentality versus a, uh, high income mentality. Well, and even starting out though, I mean, when you, we, when you see that you can make so much money, it's like, I, I couldn't ever invest in single family homes because I looked at it on a client. If I sold a client, I'd make $50,000 a year off that client. Right. And I'm like, well, I could learn. And this is back after the recession. I could buy this hundred and fifty thousand dollar house that's going to make me two hundred dollars, right? A uh, hundred bucks a month, right? Maybe. And I'm like, that's not a lot of money. That doesn't make sense. Why am I, I'm not going to do that, right? And so I wouldn't cut back on my lifestyle, or, you know, to do that. Well, it turns out that over time, that's now a lot of money. And the hundred fifty thousand dollar house is a million. But um, you know, we, it's really hard that short term. Wealth building is a longer term kind of principle, right? It's that longer thing. And that immediate upside is it's whether it's a job, right? Moving to take a higher salary, right? Or flipping or doing anything else. It is, I think, uh, uh, like what you said, where you constructed your business around your life. That's a totally different way you have to go about it than just chasing that high income. It's a very different mentality. Very different. Not always easy to do that um, because it's you're most of us entrepreneurs are chasing the shiny penny and wanting to go for more. And we're comparing ourselves to other uh, entrepreneurs or other people in the mm -hmm. business thinking we need to do, look at what they're doing. Why can't we do that too? Right. Brandon Turner did almost a billion dollars in real estate. Why can't I? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, so it's, you know, those kind of mentalities where you go like, you know, I lived next to Brandon for a year. He's one of my best friends. And like, I didn't care what he was doing. I'm like, whatever, yeah. let's go do jujitsu. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it's there, it's getting rid of your ego to not let people do their thing, but do what's right for you and your family. And maybe it is to, to chase the shiny pin. Maybe that is what you want to do. Maybe, yeah. maybe you want to grind it. AJ, you're, you're a grinder. You're getting after it. Maybe you love it. Maybe you want to go after it. Right. Fucking sorry. Awesome. Go do it. Yeah. Right. Go do it. Yeah. So it's just, but if that's not what you want, then don't force yourself, like figure you, you out a really good point here on this comparison to get, like, even when you look at your business plan or my business plan, it's so funny to bring this up. Cause like, we just went through it where we were trying to compare ourselves to other funds. And we were trying to say, no, look here. Cause our fund is very different. We're long-term holds, right? We don't have short-term exits, all this other kind of stuff. And what we found is the more time, uh, the more time we tried to cater and looked at the way other people were doing it and tried to teach or go against or show, the more that hurt us when we just said, no, we just need to dive into what we are, who we are and how we're doing it. Even though the 99% are doing it differently, focus just on that and make that better and not care and not try to show against. And holy cow, it, it changed immediately where we just dug into who we were, what we do. 
and it was easier to articulate. We didn't worry about how other people were articulating it and then to compete with that. Here's our metrics. Here's how we judge success. Yes. Here's how we work. And it, it was a game changer. Everything worked better. I mean, money started just pouring in the doors. We had more deals. And like we went through this huge shift and it was just that embracing, right, of this is who I am. This is what I want. And this is how we do things. And it, it's counterintuitive, but instead of chasing, embracing is where you actually get the growth. But I also think you added on a point there, this would be good for everybody to hopefully take note of, is that you're being congruent with your values and who you are as a company and and you're not trying to be somebody else or some other business and people appreciate the right people appreciate that congruency that genuineness that authenticity whatever you want to call it uh because you become in alignment with like no these are our values this is what we want and the right people and right investors and right partners will align with that right and versus trying to align with you who aren't being who you really are, your company who is trying to be something they're not, right? Or that's incongruent with that. And so I think happiness happens with congruency, like in my yeah. opinion, like yeah. I just said that, but the- uh, no, You're right. And you get, when we looked at the company, how we were built, what we were trying to accomplish, it, as with most people, it's a very personal thing. And I think most people that are very successful, it's personal, right? Like we're trying to, there's reasons why we didn't. First of all, I'm very conservative. Uh, maybe I'm scarred from 2008, but like we didn't want our assets. I, I wanted to limit risk. And so mm-hmm. long-term hold allowed us to lock up long-term things and have options, but never have to be forced into any position, which dramatically lowers our risk. So it was one of the reasons we did it, right? Another reason we did it with investors was because of what happened prior to us. And when you put all that together, and if you're congruent with it, it gets you to, like you said, it attracts the right people, but it also gets you to know really quick. So all of a sudden, all the employees, everybody knows when we say no, that's okay. And no's okay, right? And that's like what you talked about. You had to say no to the income. Yep. And that no can be really, really hard. Yes. And because I love having lots of income. <laughs> so I still do. It makes life so much cooler. Like, uh, but you, but I think let's circle back though. on like, I think some of these decisions that you've made that I've made that we're still, I mean, you and I were talking before you press record about like, what's going on with business? What the hell's going on with the world? Yes. Like what, what, what do we do? What are we doing? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. But I think, you know, only thing that made me better. I think I got into this business just to make money. That's legitimately like no joke why I got into the business. And, but as I got into it, like I still had to remember that I'm an investor. I still remember I'm running a business and I had to increase my financial IQ to, instead of being stuck in like how I got into it, which is like make money, make money, make money. But that financial IQ has to continue to grow. Like that's the studying the market, studying yourself, studying money, studying financials, studying business is so important in order to stay in business, I think long run and also find the trends that are going on or how to adjust for what might be happening. So today now more than ever, I think all of us business owners or, or investors or would be investors, I mean, need to really get into this stuff and go back to the fundamentals. Um, even though we're going into a, a, a time or we're in a time, you and I also talked about this two years ago when yes. lockdowns first happened. Yeah. Um, the uh, About 
this is still unknown territory for us, but at the end of the day, history kind of has told us that the basic fundamentals went out over time. And, you know, so what are those right now and what can we be implementing and where can we learn them? Where can we find them? What can we do? Who should we listen to? Those are all questions we're all asking right now. Well, and it's interesting because we did, and I love going back and looking at assumptions that I make that are wrong, ones that I make that are right and why and how those look. And, you know, when we were, you know, two years ago, is it, was it almost exactly two years ago? Yeah. No, no. Well, no, where was it? No, yeah. two, one year ago we were in Hawaii, but um, two years ago I was locked in a house in Sunkadia because we decided to take advantage of the VRBO people and uh, you know steal their house while lockdown was happening and right. get out of our house in Issaquah. Uh, so, and then you were in Boise selling yep. your selling your primary house uh, yes. at the time. See, I got a good memory. And then <laughs> you, yeah, and you and I are BSing, going like man, all these lockdowns, all this stuff is going to, over the next few years, going to create famine, war, inflation. <laughs> like, yeah. We listed all this out. All we're like, look how smart we are. What did we do about it? I don't I don't think we did anything. I bought lots of real estate because I knew inflation was coming. So <laughs> I, I yeah. went and bought a lot of distressed assets. But it, it, it is, it's true when we look at it and when we were talking about the things that, you know, we, you, you know that there are reactions to certain actions. You know that if the government's going to increase the money supply by over 30% in a you know day, that inflation is most likely going to ensue. Like, especially when you're not filling in a hole. Like a lot of people say, yeah, but in 2008, well, first of all, 2008, it was only 800 billion. And I can't believe we say that today. It's only 800 billion. But it was filling in a hole in the economy. Like, so when debt evaporated, money evaporated. So the money was gone. So they filled in a hole, right? But when we're talking and COVID's gone, we're like, there's no hole. Financial institutions are sound. People have the highest savings rates they've ever had, the lowest debt uh, to income that they've, they've ever had. And then you threw trillions of dollars. We're like, this is going to rapidly change the world. Mm -hmm. And inflation, which we knew would in turn cause wars. Like somebody is going to, you know, it, it, and then famine, we were shutting down supply chains and how that would all work and, and, and look like. And it's really interesting when you look back that it, it, it seems crazy at the time. And now today though, it's just daily life. Yeah. And, but I don't want to go this rabbit hole too freaking far, but like the, uh, you and I were both like, if you and I are talking about this and we're just two dudes talking, seeing like the writings on the wall, basic economics says this is going to happen. A lot of other smarter people than us definitely know this stuff. Yes. Like, why is it still progressing? And yet it still is. And I guess shutting the economy down for two years isn't good for the economy. Uh, who would have figured, right? I don't know. So... <laughs> Well, what do we know, bro? We're just on some podcast talking to each other that maybe people listen to. <laughs> maybe. <don't> <laughs> hey, I, I, I don't know. Hey, you know, it, it's funny, though, because you, you so much has changed in uh, the world, but also your personal life, mm -hmm. right? As in mine, um, you know, well, I, I think just from the first time that we met, like how my life was just kind of just so up in the air. But you had a cane. I had a cane. I had leg braces on. Right? <laughs> yeah. I got away and walk without help. Um, and you look though, how much the world has changed in that period of time since we first met. I mean, 
to a lot of people, it, it can freeze. It, it's so nerve wracking because the, the constant influx of noise and change, when you're looking out to the future and you got all this, like, how, how do you keep that in check? Like, how does it not overwhelm you? Because a lot of it, when you're getting started and not experienced, like you or somebody else in investing, we've talked before you went through 2008, you were just starting, which, which is a great story because, you know, okay, tell them, tell them about your financial advisory. You got to talk about that. Cause I think this is great. <laughs> yeah. So I, so the short of it is I did do real estate prior to 2008. I wholesaled real estate in 2005, 2006. Uh, and the, another really, really short story is actually in 2000, early 2008, we had developed a weird partnership with a investor that represented Lehman Brothers. Uh, and we were going to be buying a bunch of properties off market through these tapes through Lehman Brothers. And then one day out of nowhere, like we couldn't get a hold of them. Like they were just like, literally like there was like crickets and my other partners, cause this is, I was a financial planner at the time. So this was a side hustle that we were doing with this real estate thing in 2008. And we spent like months setting up this whole, I never told you this, this whole thing with, uh, with these tapes with Lehman Brothers and then uh, to buy these off-market properties through, uh, you know, that were actually distressed properties that nobody was talking yeah. about. And, and then one day, like it was just crickets. And then I remember being at Gold's Gym in Sacramento, where I was, where I was at at the time. And I look up at the TV and it says Lehman Brothers off bankruptcy. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, wait a second. That's why they stopped calling. Huh, what a weird thing. What does that mean? Like, cause I had no clue. <laughs> I was like 24 or something. Uh, so anyways, the, what you're getting at though, is I was also, I ran a financial brokerage uh, out of Sacramento and the, uh, I had a bunch of clients and we did mostly mutual funds, 401k, you know, 401k stuff, basically retirement plans. And in, was it September and October of 2008, you know, all my clients that rolled over money into their IRAs or I got them to invest in new, new things or whatever, you know, come end of October, November, 2008. Uh, some people might not remember those exact months, but you know, half their values are gone, like in a matter of 30 days and all my old term clients, right. Basically most of my phone calls were in conversations. One, I had no clue, right. I had, I didn't understand. Yes. I was some expert in financials, uh, with hundreds of clients and stuff, but like, yet I didn't, I didn't know what was happening to the global market. I didn't know what was going on with, yeah. uh, you know, the, the mortgage industry at that time so much and what was happening with the banking industry. All I knew is that my clients' portfolios were dropping dramatically. And, and I would just say like, Hey, look, maybe now's not a good time to sell. I mean, like, why would you, you know, maybe you should be dollar cost averaging, uh, and buying while it's on sale. Right. And that's, and maybe one day it'll go back up like it does historically, but right now try not to emotionally react. Some clients emotionally reacted and some clients in that maybe rolled over money in September, October, lost half their portfolio, no matter where they would have put it, uh, within a matter of 30, 60 days and they cash out and put it in cash. I pretty much promise you most of those people never put it back. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe they did over the last, you know, I don't know, decade or so, but, uh, last three years they did. And now the market's going to go down again. <laughs> they put it in AMC stuff the, for the, so that's, yeah, you know, so maybe that's what they did and whatnot, but like it was interesting to be in that world at that time with hundreds of clients that you know they see their retirement plans. My grandparents, like they just retired, and then all of a sudden they lose half their portfolio, right? And yeah. you know, it's it's most of us in real estate today, right? The majority of people that you would find as a real estate investor that call themselves an investor full time 
probably didn't even start investing until like 2010 to 2012. And I would yeah. bet probably 2012 plus yes. um, is when I got started. So, and myself included, I didn't go full time in real estate again until 2011. And the, you know, so even though I saw the downside of the market in 2008, I saw it add on the stock side more than the real estate side. Um, I definitely saw on the real estate side later because we did do mortgages uh, post 2008 mm. and seen everybody being upside down, short sales yeah. and stuff. Uh, so I definitely was involved in that to capacity. Um, uh, but most of the time it was like, well, there's nothing we could do. You owe more than what your house is worth. Um, yeah. so, but there's so much story there. Um, but I think we forget what that was like and we only see the upside. And now today you got guys like me, guys like you guys, like my buddy, our, our, our buddy now, Ken McElroy, yeah. we're all kind of looking at it going like we've built all this wealth over the last decade. How do we preserve it yeah. going forward in this unknown territory? Uh, and I know one of the, the kind of put a bow on this. I know for me personally, growing up from nothing, uh, and it's, it's terrifying to me a little bit because I find myself when I was younger, I took risks. I did whatever I, I, you know, I had nothing to lose. Right. And, you know, I took tons of risks, like when I was younger and, and if I was starting out, like when you have nothing to lose, you got nothing to lose. You just go, right. Like, and you can always get a job and pay your bills if you really needed to. Right. Right yeah. now, like a normal job wouldn't pay my bills. <laughs> so, yeah. for, and so I kind of find myself being in a defensive position over the last year and a half, two years, more than an offensive out of fear of loss, right? Out of yeah. fear of losing what I've built up. And I didn't really click that that was the case until I was actually listening to a Joe Rogan podcast when he was interviewing this guy, Nims, who did a, a 14 Peaks. It's a um, documentary on Netflix that everybody should watch about this dude in like six months climbed the 14 tallest peaks in the entire world when the world record prior to that was seven years. So insane documentary, insanely awesome dude. But Joe Rogan's interviewing this guy and Nims put it all on the line to make this happen. And Joe brought it up how so many successful people, once they reach a successful point, they start to fear losing it. So they work in more of a defensive position and they don't put it on the line ever again. And it kind of clicked that I was like, oh crap. Like I was at a Home Depot uh, at the time, but I've listened to this on my headset. I'm like, that's me right now. Oh my God. Like I didn't realize I fell into that because I've been, I don't want to make my family go back to what we were right at one point. And so that doesn't, that's not a good thing, right? At all, in my opinion. It's not, it's not a good thing. Um, And I, but I think also the extremes are not. So not having fear is also very much not a good thing. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. You should be fearful right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it's um it it needs to be in checks, but you're you're completely uh correct in that fear can paralyze you to a point where you're just your own detriment, mm-hmm. right? And when we have so much noise coming at us which is just it's suffocating for the average person. We were never designed to take so much information. Our brains were not made to handle things like war and plagues and starvation and murders down the street and stock market crashes and whatever else comes across the internet screen as you're scrolling through Facebook or whatever it is. Like, our brains don't, it's like, if there's a problem, I need to tackle it. Is something trying to kill me or eat me? I need to take care of this today, right now. And if I can't, I die. And 
we we're just inundating ourselves with things that we can't control. We don't know outcomes too, and it can just absolutely paralyze us. Well, especially for American society right now, when you think my one of my favorite quotes that I do my best to remind myself of on a regular basis, uh, it comes from Mark Twain, and it's my life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which have never happened. Yes, and and that's what's happening today. So just a quick, my wife is Lithuanian, right? Uh, yeah. Full blooded you know, Lithuanian, her mom, uh, my, my mother-in-law is visiting right now. She's been visiting us since, um, uh, February sometime. <laughs> right. So give or take, and she's going to be here until her, her travel visa, like till the last second, basically yeah. when she showed up here, uh, Russia had not invaded Ukraine yet. Like, but it was on the edge. You're talking, it was about a, she showed up here maybe about a week and a half prior to, um, the invasion. So, you know, watching with all that stuff. Now she's here, she's here in Seattle, right? She came with us all the places we've traveled um, since we've been here. She'll be with us when we move out of state and stuff uh, as well. And it was kind of an interesting dynamic to watch her and she's, you know, her shifting and what I'm saying, like the, you know, my life's been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which have never happened. She's been inundated with what's going on there. Now, Lithuania, for those of you educated people might not know where it is on a map, uh, it is really close to Ukraine and Russia, right? It's one of the Baltic states. It's a former Soviet Union uh, bloc country. It was the first country to revolt against the Soviet Union. Uh, and my wife grew up there when she watched the Soviet tanks roll out of her uh, village that she lived in, Red Velichkis. And uh, so she's she's familiar with this, right? <laughs> she stood in sugar lines to get sugar like as a kid with her mom. So um, that said, why I bring it up though is my mother-in-law is here with her uh, grandson, right. With her daughter living in a very nice place with us, right. Traveled all over already since she's been here with us. The war is not here, right. The war is not with her grandson or with her, um, daughter-in-law. It's not even in, I'm sorry, daughter, not even in Lithuania, right. Yet in her head it is. And so it's, you know, her life is consumed with it. Now, since she's been here, it's slowly dis uh, dissipated to where she's realizing, wait, She's living in a very nice place right now. Her life is totally fine right now. She's fine right now. She is fine. Yes. Right. Her life is good. Right. And, but I find that it was an interesting psychology to watch, to see how many people aren't from Lithuania that are here in the U S that are so consumed with what's happening outside yeah. in the world. That isn't their life. And they're right there in front of their own kids, their own spouses, their own coworkers, thinking their lives are horrible, that everything is bad around them. Yet if they just stopped and actually like looked around them, life's probably pretty good, right? Yeah. They're not into trenches fighting for their lives in Kiev right now or anything like that. They're not. So no. they're sitting in their house right now. No. So appreciate what you have and appreciate that your life is not full of terrible misfortunes at this Dude, time. I so love that. We, I mean, Americans, it has just been fear, fear, fear. And it is like, and it's so blown out of proportion. It drives me crazy when, and, and I, I may be jaded, right. From the standpoint of that before COVID and everything happened, you know, I was on tubes. I'm trying to relearn it. And my kids <laughs> yeah. had to go through You're all taking, of that. Taking a little nap. For a little uh, yeah. <laughs> taking a little nap, uh, a nice little coma in the tubes and then trying to dealing in pain every day. And it was like, we had to focus on controlling our surroundings we focused on, this isn't that bad, right? 
I can be in a wheelchair and I have enough meds to where I can be with my kids and I can deal with the pain, right? And all of a sudden things that would be devastating for most people were actually our joyous moments. I get to leave the hospital. I'm paralyzed, but I get to go home. And it was like, every time it was, oh man, I can, I can walk in leg braces and I can have a, a cane. This is awesome, right? And then COVID hit. And at first it was super scary for everybody, right? As time went on, we learned the real impacts, which to certain populations were real. And, you know, but for children and for most people, the actual risk of dying from COVID was astronomically low. And yet we were paralyzing ourselves and children and the damage that I think that that did to so many young people that think that they're going to die every day. They're being told, if you don't wear a mask, if you don't do this, you're going to die. That's just not true. It's not true for young people. In fact, the stats on it are astronomically low. I've never even heard of anyone dying below the age of 15. that didn't have, you know, probably it's just, it's so out there. It's so far out there. It's not even, and yet these, you see these kids and we made a rule where we're like, that's not happening here. We're not talking about COVID with our children. They're not wearing masks. We're going to school and they're going to be normal human beings because we went through my kids having to watch their dad on tubes. Mm. And I know the damage that that stress, that fear did to them. And we couldn't put them through it again. And there was no risk at us not putting them through it. We weren't going to elderly homes. We were by ourselves. It didn't matter. Their school had policies. It, there was no risk for it. So why, why watch the TV? Why tell a five-year-old and freak out when they go outside or they see another human being? Like, these are children. And yet we've totally embraced the fear in the United States. We've taken it all on and there's just no end to it. And I think it's like a poison. It's a poison to our mind. And um, it's, it, it, it's the norm. And that that's concerning to me. Yeah. It's also, I mean, we can go down, <laughs> you can, I go, can go down a dark path here fast. The uh, for about how, what should be concerning for a lot of us today when it comes to media and social media in all generals is how, how quickly the narrative can be in alignment with all the other narratives or how quickly there's only one thing that you see. One thing. And there's more than one thing going on in the world. There's more than yes. one thing going on in your neighborhood. Right. Yes. So it's like, but yet how quickly we're all in alignment with that one thing. Not maybe not an agreement. Yes. But we are all aware of mentally. That we're all mentally. thinking it's all it's consuming our one way yeah. track. And a lot of times there's that. Uh, you know, we might, you'll have two sides to it and they're very opposing and everybody's right on whatever side they are. Yep. Uh, and, and that should be more unnerving than anything. It's like, I've never been in a world where my social media feed all seems to be talking about the same exact thing all the time. Right. And then all of a sudden something changes. And now all of a sudden it's talking about that thing all the time, all that right? thing, all that thing. That's it. So, and that's in the news, everything like it's the right. same thing. It's just, what are we picking that we all have to talk about? We all like, talk about it. As soon as Russia came, COVID died. You didn't see it on TV. You didn't see it on anything. Everybody stopped talking about it. There I mean, have you heard B. from Fauci? Like, there was it, a Babylon Bee thing. My favorite. I don't know, if you don't follow the Babylon Bee, maybe you shouldn't, but already. Oh, but like, I uh, do, and they're hilarious. Yeah. 
yeah, one of the first, one of my favorite ones was like Putin. Putin is awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for ending COVID. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> it just became a non-issue. So like we, we had tickers on every screen that said every time somebody died. Yeah. Russian gets invaded and nobody even talks about it anymore. No, and you're going, how in 30 days did we go counting every single individual that was dying to we don't talk about this anymore. And by the way, Fauci is just gone. Like we don't even hear. From, like, I don't know where he's at, what he's doing. And before that, we all had to do what he said. And I'm just it, surprised I'm still alive because from what I remember, the White House told me that I was going to have a winter of death and destruction. It's uh, crazy. And, yeah, but like it's it, spring now, and we're still here. So nothing not changed, and especially when you're living in a place like mine, who COVID hasn't existed for two mm-hmm. years, and we've all lived a happy, normal life. And you look at this this mass uh, element of psychosis that we get in as human beings, whether that's financial, whether that's not. And you can remember seeing this exact same thing in 2008 and the circular, the downhill where it was banks are failing. We're all going to die. And it just, it craters and it craters and it craters. And in fact, I think we just make it worse and worse and worse than it actually is. If we would just stop selling the stocks, those banks would have all been fine. Mm. Right? Like, not fine. We would have still had to do something. The, the point being, though, is when you lose ninety percent of your value, it like the debt, it changes. All the businesses are going bankrupt. People are losing house, and it escalates down. But it also escalates up. And this this idea of being more centrist, where I'm not going to do like we were talking about before. I'm not going to underwrite a deal and say that it's going to be perfect in three years. But at the same time, I'm not going to not do a deal because. I think that it might not be perfect. Both of those situations to me are bad. We need to be more in reality. COVID is real. It's going to hurt people. We have to take care of us and other people. I don't need to tell my five-year-old every day that we're all going to die. Like, come on, let's, let's, well, let's breathe in. We all are going to die eventually. So let's, Man, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I don't know though, but with our high level of income might be a couple hundred years from now. Who knows? Um, the, uh, <laughs> Hey, actually, in reality, like let's let's actually, all right, or else you know we're gonna get censored here soon if we keep talking about this. Um, the for the so the c word aside, but the yes. um, the truth. You brought up something with that actually I struggle with, where you just said the two examples of you know you can't sit there and think like you're gonna buy a deal and imagine every deal you're gonna buy three years from now is gonna be perfect, but you also can't underwrite every deal uh, and look at it uh, in a sense that. Um, what was it like? It's not going to be fail. perfect or yeah. it's going to fail. Right? It's not going to be, or, or everything's going to go wrong or it's going to not be a good yeah. deal. So where I get stuck today, honestly, is that like, I am conservative investor. Um, and as far as risk-taking is concerned, and I don't want to buy a deal that is going to fail. <laughs> like, so yeah. I don't think anybody does. Right. Um, but how do I overcome that mentality of looking at every deal as fearful right now because of the unknown Versus going like, no, this is just part of what we do. We got to keep going forward in some way. Like, where's that? How's that balance work to where, you know, I don't look at a deal and go like, I don't need to buy this because I want to put my, I don't want to lose. Right. Even though it looks like a good deal on paper today, it might not be later. Right. How do I overcome that? Because I I fight that like all the time. So for, I don't know how a lot of people do things, but for me, I just try to do deals that aren't predicated on everything being perfect. So (laughs) What I mean by that is I have an active degree of lowering risk through normal ways that people think of how you limit risk and debt, things like that, but also normal uh, or lower risk 
by the time frame in which certain actions need to be taken. So the vast majority, I think, of people that are uh, in, hold a lot of risk in real estate is because of trigger points, meaning certain things have to happen within certain times. I have to refinance. I have to sell this deal. And the deal doesn't work out without those events taking place. That's event-based investing. I have my margin of stupidity. It needs to work out even if I'm done. But two, I, I, I want to give myself a decade to make it work, to figure things out. So that way, if we go through three years that are bad, it's okay. Just let the cash flow go when I can't. The problem is, though, the vast majority of investors today, 90 plus, that's not how it works out. When you're dealing with funds, they have to liquidate assets to get returns. That means if they can't liquidate at the price that they're underwriting at, they're underwater. And that, to me, I couldn't sleep with that. I couldn't think I'm gambling people's money on a future event. Like for me, I'm great going into assets that are cash flowing long term. We have revenue growth. I have rev revenue growth today, embedded equity. And if we have three years that suck, we'll get through it and it's going to eat our returns and everything. But I'll just wait till the next five years. Right. So for me, time is a big deal. The more time I give an investment to work, the much lower the risk goes. And that helps me invest. I, I don't know if that's the same for everybody, but. That's how it works for me. So all my six month flips, I need to stop. I need to say this is going to be a 10 year flip. 10 year flip. And then it doesn't matter. If it, it happens in six months, great. <laughs> if it happens in 10 years, you're like, I gave myself time yeah. to make it work. That's a lot of, <laughs> so, that's a lot of hard money payments. <laughs> a lot of hard money payments. And, and I guess too, that also comes to, you know, the difference between earned income or business income. Cause like, right. If you have a business, that's not how it works. Uh, versus that passive degree, right? I got into insurance to make me rich, but I got into real estate to make me free. And that uh, distinct, I, I tried very hard not to make my real estate actually be my 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 owner and enslave me again. But I don't know. But you know, we talk a lot about this. And the first time that I met you was at an event. Um, that you and Brandon put on, which was so enlightening to me. You guys completely changed when I, when I was very, very lost. And you and Brandon walking me through, I'd never been to an event at all. I didn't know what my life was. I just lost my career. I didn't know what I was going to do, right? And I got to go with you guys. And even though at a time that was massively uncertain for me and my future, being with you guys and being with others that were, trying to figure this stuff out. Like me and you, dude, this is what we do. We just get together and we talk. We're trying to figure things out. And like, I don't have anything that's off the table. I want to hear and understand everything so we can work through it. And doing that with you guys, it completely changed the direction of my company, of my life and everything uh, for the better. And you've got another big event that's coming up, dude, that I just got to tell everybody about because I'm beyond excited about it. So I, I, I can do it, but why don't you get, tell, tell people what you're doing and what you got going on, dude. It's awesome. Oh, stop. You say that to everybody. Uh, the, so reality actually, yeah. So thanks for that. Yeah. Brandon and I did a event in Maui. Like that's where you came from yeah. and stuff, or he didn't come from there, but that's where we met. Uh, yeah. I was first there on the scene there. Yeah. Um, but Brandon and I still do a few of those every year and stuff. It's fun. Um, but what I'm more known for on the event side is our expos that we posted. We started them originally in the Seattle area for various reasons. We will never do one again, probably here. Um, but that said, uh, Ken McElroy, if you guys don't know him, he's ABC's a real estate investing. He's a risk advisor, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's best friend, I guess. 
Um, and great dude uh, has over a billion in real estate uh, and mostly multifamily and so forth. Um, and he's just crushed it over the years, but he's a mentor to many of us out there that got into real estate years ago and read his book. Uh, he's become a close friend of mine uh, over the last couple of years. And him and I decided to partner on an event and we called it Limitless, uh, which is a financial freedom expo. So we branded it a little bit differently to not just be real estate only. So real estate is absolutely a good component of this event, um, but we didn't want it to be only real estate because there's so many avenues to wealth generation, business generation, like market, like everything that comes to running a business, becoming self, um, self-sufficient, financially independent. Uh, if you're a w tour and you're investing in something, how do you do it better? Like, how do you balance that work life as well as investment life? How do you go from zero deals to hundred deals? Or how do you go from starting your business to getting it to where you can exit your company? We got people coming to this event that have exited for multi-billions, uh, to be able to show like kind of what they did and how they did it. Um, so I'm rambling a little bit, but let's just put it this way. Ken and I want this event to be a milestone every year for people to get together at, to discuss financial, uh, education, financial freedom, financial independence, uh, in a non guru way. So we allow no sales from the stage. Uh, we allow none of that BS crap out there whatsoever. This you're going to come to an event where it's a three-day conference where we have multiple, multiple exhibitors, uh, that have been vetted by our companies to make sure that they're, you know, bringing the right stuff to you and you're not getting sold a bag of goods. Everybody on stage has been handpicked by Ken and I, uh, AJ has been handpicked as well. He'll be on there. Uh, and he's not talking about self-storage. He's going to talk about businesses and like, and how right. like to analyze a company to possibly buy versus build. Right. Yep. Um, we're going to have people up there from, you know, various degrees where they're just LPs, limited partners in a fund. And they're going to be like, Hey, I'm an LP. And this is how I've invested in other GP funds. Right. Um, we'll talk about multifamily. We'll talk about single family. We'll talk about the economic outlook. We got this guy, George Gammon, Google him. That guy's awesome. Wicked smart. He's suing the fed right now. <laughs> and he's breaking down like what he's doing with that, the money supply inflation, Ken's going to do a uh, state of the union on the economy and what's happening with that with multiple experts, basically tearing it up saying like, this is what's up right now. We got Robert Kiyosaki as a keynote uh, and a headliner for us as well. And, you know, he's going to, of course, spit mad game and probably be, who knows what he's going to say up there. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be great. Um, but we really pushed this event for networking. So this is a massive networking event. Uh, we'll have close to 1500 people there. And it's in Scottsdale, Arizona at the Westin Kierlin uh, on June 9th, 10th, and 11th. And you can go to LimitlessExpo.com. That's LimitlessExpo.com. Uh, and ticket prices do go up regularly. It's the only way we can make sure people buy tickets uh, until the last minute. or And they, are, they don't wait till the last minute as they see the price increment. But AJ, because he's so super cool, uh, he gets a discount for you guys if you type in storage. Um, the when you go to buy your code, uh, buy your ticket, storage will give you a discount there. And I'll have um, that in the show notes, but yes, you guys got to come because I'm going to be there too. So, yes. So, massive networking. We facilitate a lot of networking for that. Uh, we have parties, cocktail parties, crazy stuff. Um, we have, we run a charity event every single year too. Uh, like I said before, from pre COVID, we've we raised over half a million just from this event alone or our previous expo alone. Um, and we plan on raising at least that at this event this year, uh, instead of selling from the stage, we're given to charity. So that's what we do. And I can keep rambling, but this is, this is the well, proof of concept year. 
that's going to show like there's a need for this right now. What is happening in the financial world? What what can we do to grow and learn from each other to help navigate the storm that's ahead of us? And then you know next year build it up and bond there and continue to go. So people can go to a place where there's going to be truth and education and none of that bullshit that's out there. So, and I, I got to tell everybody here it, it, it's important that the lineup of of quality that Tarl puts together, which we didn't touch on this at all, but that's Tarl's superpower. Tarl is a fantastic networker. He's, you know, he's just amazing at it. People are drawn to him. He knows uh, so much about a lot of these different topics and things where people look up to him. And he's really good at bringing people together that have like minds that are, you know, Certainly, I was amazed at what he's done so far, and to put it's like the culture that he put you put together, dude. It's just it's fantastic. So I, I could not be more excited about this. The quality that you're bringing is just absolutely amazing, and this idea that there's no selling for from stage, that's my same thing, right? That I do. Like you came to the, the self storage income event, and remember, I'm like, I, we don't. Nobody's going to sit up here and sell and pitch. It gives us all the ability to go there, network, learn from the speaker without thinking that that speaker is done a whole presentation just to get a buy. No, it's yeah. a whole presentation done to educate. And I love that. So give back to like these. We don't pay speakers either. Like we don't, these aren't a bunch of speaker paid fees. I don't, I, <laughs> trust me, if you've, if you've ever spoken at one of my events, you know, we don't pay you anything. So yep, 100%. Um, it's, <laughs> I'm like, if you don't want to give back, then don't come. Right. And yes. if it's, it's just kind of the mentality I have with my events, uh, the people that are there that are headliners, they want to be there, right. They're not getting a fee, like not a single person is. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's important. Well, I don't even pay for their freaking hotel rooms. Like, so it's, the, yeah. like, that's kind of how I roll with this stuff. Yeah. But that's how, like, for me, that's, I don't know. It's if I have somebody that we get offered to for people like, Oh yeah, you all come out and speak. And here's my speaker fee. I'm like, cool. Like, that's great for you. Like, here's what I'll pay you. Zero. Yeah. You want to come or not? Right. And They're coming cool. to be there. Yes. Like I'm coming to be there. I want to be there. Right. I want to be with these other people. And that's totally different than some guy that gets up, speaks, and then turns around and walks out and takes his paycheck and leaves. It's you know, they're speaking and then they're in the event with everybody else. And so it, it's a cultural thing that you do and you put on when you, 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 you do it. It's awesome. Everybody. I'm not getting paid obviously to say this i'm not getting paid to speak or anything else like that nope. uh i just you know love tarl he's a very very close friend and i know it's a huge value for everybody listening so that'll be in the show notes everybody check that out but tarl aside from that where can people go to learn more about you where should people follow you uh i do go on the gram the instagram every now and then um we do post stuff about houses and cool things uh, and that's at tarl yarber all one word. And then uh, that's probably the best way to message me if you want to get a hold of me there. Uh, and then we also do have a lending business. So we don't really talk about this too often, but fixatedfunding.com. Uh, and you can reach our business there as well. That's for hard money loans and also single family rental properties. But we do hard money for multifamily as well as uh, residential. We don't do commercial. Sorry. I know. can't do that. Um, but we do, we do that in many states. Um, and then Outside of that, um, come to LimitlessExpo.com and hit me up on the gram. Awesome. Dude, great talking to you as always, man. Appreciate it. And we'll see you here soon. Thanks, AJ.